0: I'm a rocketeer, a rocketeer, burning out his fuse up here alone. See, I changed the word so Elton John can't sue us. Yeah,
1: I think he's still going to want (laughs) to check. We
0: have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson and we are reviewing the 1991 movie about a 1982 comic about 1930 superhero the rocketeer what a journey that was <laughs> just just jump a couple of decades and yeah. you get the rocketeer It is a superhero movie about a guy who finds some stolen equipment and becomes a superhero. And we thought of no better movie to review in honor of Ant-Man and Wasp coming out into the theaters. Well, we thought of a couple other ones. We did. I take that back. We did think of a couple of other ones.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we thought we thought about ants, and we're like, mm. got mm-hmm. the Woody Allen thing. We thought about uh, Bug's Life, and we're like, mm. got the Kevin Spacey thing. Then we're like, mm, B movie, and then we're like, what about the Rocketeer? <laughs> <laughs> and that was our thought process exactly, just like that.
0: Now, in case you don't remember, uh, the Rocketeer is in fact Disney's first comic book adaptation movie Hmm. now the comic itself dates back to 1982 and artist dave stevens created a comic book called the rocketeer um and kept the the because he wanted it um messier uh and it was inspired by the pulp characters and series of the 1930s and 50s um think you know doc savage and other things. And it's all about a stunt pilot who finds an experimental jetpack and sets up to be a hero. And DC said, you know what? Since that jetpack didn't come from space, we won't sue you for Green Lantern properties. <laughs> and originally, the comic was originally intended to be a secondary comic strip uh, of a more popular comic called Star Slayer, but Just a year after its release, it already got options for a movie adaptation. Quoting Stevens himself, I assume in an old-timey speak, In those days, no studio was interested at all in an expensive comic book movie. Stevens told uh, comic book artists in 2001, he continued saying, We got there about three years too early for our own good, being three years before the big Hollywood release of Tim Burton's Batman. But ultimately, Disney picked up the movie because they saw so many great, great merchandising possibilities for the movie. And just like that, the Rocketeer soared into the theater uh, June 21st, 1991. And though the movie cost $35 million to make. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a lot of rocket fuel. It really is. It made just about $46 million in the box office, considering it to be a box office f- flop. But yet, the Rocketeer today has a cult following. When it was released on home video um, from 1991 to 1992, it made its way to Laserdisc. You know, so that also helped with the cult following. All those Laserdisc owners were like, well, we at least got the Rocketeer. And, Grayson? <laughs> mm-hmm. It earned an additional
1: $23.18 million in video rentals. So much chewing gum. <laughs> it's always the rentals that that will save a movie. Well, Ricky, I think you covered a lot of the history here, but I think it's worth pointing out that this movie um, was actually one of the first movies to use lightning bolts in their font before Harry Potter. <laughs> so there you go. It's a prestigious group. Now, speaking of fun facts, Grayson, mm-hmm. um,
0: one thing that I found really interesting was how Bubblegum played such a pivotal role in the movie. And yeah. so found out that pilots, real-life pilots, uh, really do love Beeman's Bubblegum. That's like an actual gum brand. Oh, it wasn't just made up for the movie? No, so check it out. For pilots, chewing gum or any kind of gum uh, helps equalize air pressure, and pilots preferred Beeman's gum because it contained pepsin at the time, and the antacid in pepsin helped with nervous stomachs. And so that's like a real-life thing that happened, uh, according to the internet, at the very
1: least. That's interesting. Yeah, it seemed like it was just an old-timey... Type name, but that's because it was an old-timey type gum. Bee Men's bubble gum made from real bees and gum. Now got Pepsin made with real pep. <laughs> Don't hurl on your girl. Eat Pepsin. <laughs> now we owe them money because that was their actual oh, ad. The Pepsin people are gonna come after us. Oh, the the Bee Men's goons are gonna knock on our door, and ah, that'll <laughs> be in the end of it.
0: Uh, so, the director of the film was Joe Johnson. Oh, yes,
1: he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Oh, man. Go on.
0: Now, Joe Johnson, a.k.a. he certainly has a type, uh, went on to direct the page master, Jumanji, and, most famously, Captain America, colon, the first rocketeer.
1: <laughs> he also directed the answer to one of our recent trivia challenges, October Sky, the guy has oh, a yeah. type. He really He does. said, I never met a rocket. I didn't want to film.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, but yeah, when, I, when I, I was like, Joe Johnston, that name sounds just familiar enough for me to look up. And then I was pleasantly surprised by all of his directorial credits. And not only that, but the the cast also
0: is just mm. something to take a look at. Yep. You have the girl from Labyrinth. Uh, you have the grandpa from Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, you have James Bond and uh, the King of the Time Lords. Oh, yeah. You have John Locke. Oh, John Locke's in there. And you have Detective Sherman from Stuart Little. Not really John Polito's Biggest claim
1: to fame, but that's what I remember him from. And those with a keen eye and fans of The Office may have recognized Melora Hardin as the jazz singer. Jan! Yeah, Jan Levinson Gould.
0: All right, now we're going to go ahead and go into our reaction. So, Grayson, I have to say, full disclosure, this yeah. is my first time watching The Rocketeer. Oh, wow. I had only previously seen trailers of it i've seen the vhs covers of it i've seen the pop art poster and i thought that this movie was completely different than what it actually
1: was what what were you expecting versus what you actually saw
0: i was expecting the rocketeer um to be uh more of a sci-fi flick um Hmm. more spacey like oh the rocketeer is this alien kind of thing um,
1: oh yeah no he never really leaves like the I, atmosphere
0: yeah well yeah it's just like oh they call him the rocketeer because he has some space because i thought it was like a almost like a ben 10 kind of thing where it's like oh this alien technology landed on earth and some maybe human guy kind of gets in contact with it i thought it was green lantern uh, i basically yeah. thought it was green lantern no with it's a rocket. more like
1: it's like ben 10 but t-i-n Oh, See what see, I see Metal. I see how you spell tin. <laughs> Very nice.
0: Yeah, and so I was actually pleasantly surprised. I didn't know it was a period piece at all. Um, mm. I just thought it was a normal current day story and i really thought it was going to be because this also has to be one of the first times i've seen a period piece movie where they don't establish up front the time period like we had Mm. that whole opening scene and then they said by the way this is the time period and i I wasn't expecting that
1: yeah i mean it does kind of give it away at the beginning where they're like nervous if a plane will actually get off the ground whereas i feel like that's probably more commonplace now uh but yeah oh like... not me <laughs> i have that same nervousness every time i fly i'm like hope this plane flies really hope it flies yeah this is more of a, a personal i know we are we move past fun facts but i just remembered uh, i saw in the credits that they filmed this at the santa monica airport which i drive by every day so fun fact for me oh my gosh grayson are you the rocketeer I'm glad you got that from
0: that. Yeah. No, it makes sense. We've never seen his face. Uh-huh. Um, and you know where it's filmed.
1: And I've never seen you and the Rocketeer in the same room. It all makes sense. See, your reaction is actually what I would expect when someone says, I'm the Rocketeer, uh, as opposed to what happens in the movie <laughs> where she goes, I am i don't know what that is. I. is. I've been busy. Sorry, no, ooh. I didn't read the papers. No, no, Twitter's not a thing. I don't know what the Rocketeer is. That means nothing to me. You're nothing to me. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did appreciate that reveal though. I'm the Rocketeer. Okay. What does that mean? I'm sorry, what? Huh? Star Lord. Rocketeer, man. <laughs> uh so so you were expecting something more galactic and instead you got some you got a period piece. So how, how did you feel about that bait-and-switch?
0: I I was pleasantly surprised. I think it kept me on my toes the whole time because I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really fun the way the beats... Um, everything felt re- very um, quick-paced, and I loved that. I loved how every scene was interconnected in some way. They, yeah. there was, they wasted zero time. And it yeah. felt like... Um, a very knowledgeable uh period piece because uh the the main uh villain uh played by uh Mr. James Bond himself Timothy Dalton. Thank you. <laughs> yes, uh when Timothy Dalton was uh, play, was paying homage to Errol Flynn uh by doing mm-hmm. that uh mm-hmm. that scene. I was just like, "Wait a second. Are they doing are they doing that famous uh I want to say Robin Hood scene with Errol Flynn by the columns, right? Isn't that that famous scene? It Um, it
1: sounds like it should be famous. It sounds great.
0: (laughs) I just remember something from film class where it's those columns and those rows and sword fighting is happening. And then that scene, because also Errol Flynn was uh, one of the uh, inspirations for the actual story of The mm. Rocket here because uh, in real life, uh, someone said that he was a Nazi spy. Whoa. Uh, someone someone wrote like a completely unauthorized autobiography saying, yep, yep, Errol Flynn, Nazi spy, it's him. <laughs> and and that was a big thing. And that also uh, kind of was reminiscent to that era of the... Actually, is that... I, I might be jumping time periods, but like the whole...
1: Oh, you're talking about McCarthyism and yeah, yeah well I had quite a lead up time, but yeah, yeah the blacklisting. Yeah. This was yeah. this was about 12 years before I think the real heyday because it was like in the 50s that a lot of it happened, but there there was there was lead up, uh for sure. I say that like I'm reading a book though. <laughs> you grew up watching this film, right? Yeah, so here's the thing. I'm I was so excited that we got to do this movie. I grew up watching this film and yet I could not remember a single thing about it. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. It's like my memory has been wiped about it. I know for a fact, though, that I used to watch this over and over again, because uh, I had the Rocketeer action figure. I had this jetpack that I used to wear to pretend to be him uh, that my mom made out of some empty two liter soda bottles. Uh Oh, nice. And, and I, uh, I I know we recorded it off TV. I remember that distinctly because we had the VHS with the adhesive sticker and my mom like hand wrote the Rocketeer on the side of it. Uh, I mean, that's actually how all my copies of Back to the Future were and, uh, you know, Sandlot and Ghost. But uh, we recorded a lot of stuff off TV and the Rocketeer was like the one that I watched over and over in addition to... Back to the Future. Back to the Future is ingrained in my brain, but the Rocketeer, it's like those memories have been stolen. So when I rewatched this, it wasn't even like it was all coming back to me. I was just, it was like I was experiencing it for the first time. Um, But I totally understand why as a kid, I was all about this movie. Um, It had all the things that I would have loved back then. And the really nice thing is it has a lot of things that I love about it now for different reasons. So the interconnectedness of the story, um, it's just the the balance of conflict is so strong here. And it's actually a really well-balanced character pyramid, um, or more so like a conflict pyramid, because you have Cliff who's like seeking after this professional acclaim and he wants to be this great pilot and everything. And then you have Jenny who has her own personal aspirations, but she's representing more of like Cliff's personal life that he's going to have to sacrifice this. And then you have Neville or Timothy Dalton as like this celebrity who essentially has all the things that both the other two want, um, but is going about it in a nefarious way. So it creates this really Uh nice triangle that balances on the other side of that you have these like more global entities that are also creating conflict where you have like the FBI after the search. You also have Howard Hughes who's taking like the more scientific independent of the government that the FBI represents, but he like, he has his own agenda. Uh, And then uh, you have the gangsters as well. It's not till later that we introduce the fourth one of, of like the Nazis, but those three points of conflict also create a really nice uh, balance and when you take those, the the only connecting point for a while is the hitman. So we're still able to transition from pyramid to pyramid. About halfway through, they take that and they basically take one triangle and put the other triangle on top of it. And then you start getting these scenes where it's like they're just twisting these triangles around and you're getting different combinations of how the conflict from one pyramid affects the conflict of the other one. And that's why you're able to get so many fast paced, like organic Uh, scenes that have conflict that doesn't feel totally contrived because they've built the pieces along the way and it feels consistent along those lines uh, of conflict. So I I just really appreciated it. I I felt like this is something that, uh, it was refreshing to see it, to be honest, where it wasn't only Cliff's story and it wasn't just Jenny's story. And obviously it wasn't only going to be Neville's story. They really balance it super, uh, equally and um yeah perfectly balanced as all things should be
0: oh yeah it,
1: ultimately <laughs> it's just more complicated than good guys versus bad guys uh it, it's actually yeah. more a conflict of perspectives um and obviously it plays out on a global scale but it's not it's not black and white over like uh, he's a good guy he's a bad guy it's like well he's complicated and he's complicated and then it's like okay well he's actually more okay he's definitely a bad guy now but at the beginning like they they let you just build uh your own kind of stance on it because he's really nice to jenny he's nice to jenny in the ways that cliff wasn't able to be nice to her and you're like okay i get that you know that he's doing it for nefarious reasons but you're like well maybe it could be anyway they they just play along those lines really well uh to where it doesn't seem um It doesn't seem like a caricature of these people that they're meant to represent. They feel like they actually have true motivation and that's because all of their motivations and conflict are balanced and it's not just a personal story. It's a global story. So they account for that conflict in two separate spheres. And then the fun of it is combining those worlds and seeing how it all shakes out.
0: No, that's totally cool. I think one of the things I noticed while watching this movie just for the first time is how, especially with older movies, since it was set in the thirties, how important uh, communication was like in the scene where uh, Timothy Dalton's character literally just couldn't see the guy. He just couldn't see (laughs) him. So he didn't know who he was. I'm like, how amazing is that? Like if you, You literally just couldn't make the guy's face out. Like, today's movies would be like, ah, we know the guy in seconds. Uh, um, Ah, we looked up his Facebook profile because he's in a relationship with her. Uh, It's obviously this guy. Let's go get him. It's just, like, there's this mystery that was built in of, like, who is this Rocketeer? Like, just because no one knew who it actually was, just because no one had seen him there was an added layer of tension to the story and i just thought that that was really cool i'm just like man it's so interesting knowing something that the characters in the movie don't know just Mm -hmm. strictly not from like information being withheld but just because the way that the scene kind of dances that they just never could make out the person's face yeah. I just thought that that was really, really cool. Like, the way that they realized that they were connected was because the uh, the uh, street toughs in the diner, they're like, hey, uh, pretty good looking girl here. I'm like, wait a second. That's the girl who we know who's connected to the thing. And that's you. I'm like, they just saw a picture. A
1: picture is what gave this thing away. And I love that. Yeah. This film has a lot of really great dramatic irony like that. And you don't feel like they're dumb for not knowing a thing it's just kind of their situation that's what they're in and if they figure it out they figure it out either through uh, smarts or through stuff that doesn't feel totally random that it's a cheat like it makes sense that the picture and everything would be up on the wall because it's a they establish it's a flight diner he goes there all the time he basically lives there he doesn't go to any other restaurant so he's like of course he's gonna have Markings of his life there that give clues away to who he is. Uh, It's just really well constructed and the setups and payoffs, everything from the gum to uh, the big reveal of Timothy Dalton. Like it's all building in a really natural way. Uh, So I was just, I really appreciated what this movie was doing and um, yeah, I wish I had rewatched it sooner.
0: Now it's time for the part of the show where we like to launch into and I think it's gonna be a long, long time till Head Cannon brings it around to talk to you about new ideas. Oh, yeah. Based on evidence, evidence provided by the film. Oh, yeah.
1: See, I use completely different words. Yeah. Can't it's pay anything if you different. got nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah cleaned us out
0: (laughs) so this movie oh man i just i'm just so excited about this headcanon um so this movie i don't know if you you, uh remember the rocketeer movie poster uh but it is almost exactly the same as the iron man poster Mm. uh the very first iron man movie that came out uh go ahead google it believe me uh, it's there. The similarities are there. And uh, the character, played by Terry O'Quinn, uh, yeah. a.k.a. John Locke, his mm-hmm. name is Howard Hughes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he is an inventor of sorts, who does not work for the government, by the way. No. Nope. Who uh, invented this flying machine. My headcanon is that Howard Hughes is none other than Howard Stark, and Hughes is a surname or a pen name, if you will, uh, allowing him to operate and experiment on different things. Now, I do believe that this would then lead Tony Stark to invent all the other things that he did not knowing that his dad already worked on this secret project that it's based off the movie. He just abandoned. He's like, this is too dangerous and I don't want anyone to have it. Um, and then they just, in theory, when, um, they ultimately make a Mark two of the Rocketeer little flight engine, uh, after Alan Arkin's character, PV has the schematics, Um, He's just like, okay, that's fine. Except for them. They're cool. (laughs) Um, But yes, that is the idea. That's the headcanon is that it, this exists in the Marvel universe and Howard Hughes
1: is Tony Stark's dad. Nice. So I had incredibly similar headcanon, except I removed it a generation and said that Howard Hughes is still the Howard Hughes from history, but He is the grandfather of Tony Stark. So that means Howard Stark is actually a junior. And with his father's historic breakdown, he changed his last name. Also, he didn't want to invite the comparison. Howard Hughes had already done great things. A man like Howard Stark would want to make a name for himself or a Stark difference, if you will. So he still believed in the cause that his father had set up. Uh, in fighting the, the war in Germany. So he goes over there and uses a lot of technology. But if Howard Hughes is indeed the patriarch of the Stark lineage, then it explains how they got their initial funding. It also explains why Howard Stark was such a good pilot in World War II leading up to it. But I, I agree. The the like mark one from Iron Man, the mouth looks just like the the helmet. Um there are a lot of similarities there. Uh but trying to get around kind of the, the age discrepancy as well. I, I put him as the, the grandfather. I mean he even has the mustache. Uh so it's like it, it's just right there. It's just right there. Um but yeah I yeah the, the mustache was like it's like Please. Dare me not to do that headcanon. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But I I totally agree. It's got to be set in the Marvel Universe. And it only is confirmed by the fact that Joe Johnson also did Captain America. Oh, and additionally, in the background of the final scene, there's a sign that says Chaplin Field. And we know Robert Downey Jr. played Charlie Chaplin. So there you go. In 1991, they were Babe Ruth... Pointing at the grandstands, calling a home run. Bring it in, boys. Grand slam. Uh, Yes. I also always love it when movies explain why the land is missing from Hollywood land. (laughs) Not not connected to headcanon. I just enjoy it. And if you want to keep this within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you can uh, also choose to believe that the Hitman was a failed Hulk experiment Uh, Much like another Jennifer Connelly film.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like a super early super soldier experiment. I like that. Yeah, Yeah, because I feel like in that scene, they really undersold. Like, the guy was folded in half. I'm like,
1: what? I didn't get... If you didn't say that line, I wouldn't know what happened to him. And it does seem like he's wearing a prosthetic face. I'm developing this headcanon as we speak. But he was wearing some kind of, like puppetry he's wearing some kind of like puppetry skin mask and he has super strength uh and goes up in a giant fireball all things that you could also claim a red skull is guilty of um so Mm -hmm. so so and he's tall and i think hugo weaving is pretty tall
0: Tito. But there is
1: no way I'm looking up how tall Hugo Weaving is. 6'2". Mm-hmm. That's pretty tall.
0: All right. Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. <laughs>
1: recast. Remake.
0: If Rocketeer were to be remade today, who would you cast and what would the storyline be
1: the guy straight up looked like Ryan Reynolds, but Ryan Reynolds has been so many superheroes already. It's like, you know, spread it around. So I uh, I didn't think this until he was wearing the super tight waiters uniform, but Channing Tatum, I think, would actually be really good. You know, I mean, Gambit hasn't come out yet, so he could right. be the Rocketeer. Uh, and then for Jennifer Connelly's character Lady Luck uh, at Allison Brie and then oh, yeah. for um, Timothy Dalton's character I had Jason Isaacs cuz I just think Jason Isaacs looks so much like Timothy Dalton yeah straight up Malfoy uh, and then for PV Christopher Lloyd I think I think he could do it yes I think he could do it either that or Stanley oh, Tucci absolutely. but I think Stanley Tucci was just in my brain because of Captain America. It's like he's yeah. a mentor figure that's also funny. Stanley Tucci.
0: You know who else I think would be a really good um Rocketeer? Surprisingly, Justin Timberlake. Oh. I think Justin Timberlake, or I'm gonna switch it up a bit,
1: season 10 Luke from Modern Family. Like current day Nolan Gold. Got the chops. Yeah, I like the Timberlake casting because he would literally bring sexy back. Pack.
0: <gasps> oh my gosh. Well, no one's going to top that. I honestly would love to see if the Rocketeer was a series, uh, like a serial where basically a short run show, but like basically the rocket just flies off and lands in some other town and solves some other people's problems. And, um, The rocketeer just becomes this legacy role. Just like, oh, look, the rocketeer, the rocketeer, this, that, the other. And uh, Mm -hmm. people just find it. Because in this movie, the rocket was just left so many places. Like, oh, I'm just going to hide this in the trash. I'm like, well, anyone could find this.
1: Also, why not keep it with you? Because he's like, I'm going to run in this building where this bad guy has a gun. I'm going to put my helmet in the trash can. What? Why put... Why, why, Mr. Do, Tear?
0: Why, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I just think that that would be a fun series just to see other people don the Rocketeer and be a hero in their own right. Yeah, uh, I think that would be pretty fun.
1: I would like to see a story of the Rocketeer, um, but in like later conflicts. So he's like older, and maybe he at this point he's like adjusted the rocket, he has such like a command on it that he uses it for mobility. He's like really, really old. I just, I just like old superheroes. I think it's such a cool thing. And I think the Rocketeer, um, I mean, he'd basically be like Captain America if he had aged in real time. Ooh, very nice. Yeah.
0: I also think the Rocketeer would do well as an animated series.
1: Yeah, if they did it in the style of the animated film that Terry O'Quinn shows them, where you have all of the the yeah. Nazi troopers just flying across the White House and the Capitol building, like that, I thought that was like a chilling scene. It was like that provided motivation for everything he had done. Uh, I, I would love to see a Rocketeer film in that same style, almost like we're sitting in a theater in the '40s watching the escapades that they're airing before a film or something. I like, that would be a really cool thing. I'd like to see a whole series. That's essentially a pre film movie newsreel animation. Like, Oh, okay. I'd be on board with that. And the aesthetic makes sense. So come on, Joe, make it. <laughs> All right. And now we're going to go into
0: our final segment where we give you our reasons to recommend. So Grayson, why would you recommend the rocketeer?
1: The Rocketeer, I'm sure when I was a kid, I loved it for the action. It's got very real, very stressful action at some points, so it's exciting. Then as you age into it, uh, even if you want more substance than just explosions, it has that. The character relationships are so intricate. They're so well-developed. Every scene is pieced together to build towards the grand finale. And it's just a really well-constructed movie. I'm bummed that I didn't watch this movie again sooner. I just really enjoyed it. And it's a, a slice of a very volatile time in history and where people wanted to be heroes. Uh, in the face of a looming, dark presence, and they rise to the occasion. And I just think it's uh, a, a really strong film. It's a feel-good movie, and it holds up. So please, please, please rewatch watch slash watch for the first time The Rocketeer.
0: Watching The Rocketeer for the first time was really a lot of fun. So if this was a movie that you missed, I highly recommend it. It's definitely worth the watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing to watch this movie for is really the style and the genre. Like they captured this genre very, very well, very old Hollywood, um, old pop culture. Like just to yeah. see how, uh, integrated pop culture is to the movie itself. They're like, Oh yeah, he's a hero. Like in those old, in those cartoons or in those old comics or things like that. Like, uh, it's really fun, and it's it's a lot of great action. It's it's a lot like the Indiana Jones um, style and genre of action films, where you get a lot of action that pays homage to the time period of that action taking place. So um, it's a real. Uh, retro throwback that uh has a lot to offer it's fun it's exciting and it really does keep you on your toes because mm-hmm. uh, you're watching a mystery like even when you find out who the villain is you don't know why their motive is what it is like i'm over here thinking that like oh well he wants this jetpack because i don't know he wants to do a crazy actor stunt. Yeah, like, why are people thing. dying over like, it? Why,
1: what would be the benefit of an actor having a jetpack? <laughs> yep. Like, you see, I can fly now. <laughs> but if you read the iTunes synopsis, that motivation is clearly articulated up front. So,
0: yeah, ultimately, this movie is a really fun action film. And if you would like to pay a tri- trip down memory lane of the action movies of past um this movie pays great tribute to them and is a great watch.
1: It's also interesting too that they're able to balance the tone of being a war movie and a gangster movie and a superhero movie at the same time um, i'm oh, just yeah. very Im-, I'm very impressed by the balance of this film on multiple levels and that's what I think. <laughs> And that's our review of The Rocketeer. Let us know
0: what you remember and love about The Rocketeer on Twitter. We are at FlashbackFlix. And it would mean a lot to us if you could fly on over and give us a review. Uh, Rate this podcast and let people know that this podcast is the podcast that you would just strap on your back if you found it um, under your seat and become a superhero with it because we fly you to new heights oh that's nice so on a scale of one to five uh tiers of rockets yeah see what i did there
1: Um, or on a scale of one to five gas trucks at the end of runways uh because (laughs) it's a blast let us know and be sure to tune in next time
0: right here on the flashback flicks retro movie podcast until then remember to be kind and rewind next time on the flashback flicks retro movie podcast
1: we say yippee Kaye," melissa fumero with die hard and in case you didn't get it melissa fumero is on brooklyn 99 so it had layers layers to the joke <laughs>